Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Gibson, happy holidays, everyone. Special holiday episode, and I'm joined with our new co-host. Yes, I said it's a two-man booth this year. Uh, our new co-host, Jake Mache. Jake, how's it going? It's going great. It's going great. Thank you, Lamar. It's uh, exciting to kind of be on this pod and kind of have the opportunity to take it and run with it and uh, see how it goes, you know, talking about prospects, dynasty, and, um, and all things there. So I'm excited to get started. Absolutely. So again, happy holidays uh, to you and yours. Uh, a little off season, uh, you know, winter uh, pod that we have going. Just doing some, you know, it's, it's a bit of a grab bag. We got uh, Jake here, so we're going to do a little, you know, get to know you, learn some more about how he looks at prospects and, and things dynasty related. We got some housekeeping, uh, some off season moves that uh, impact uh, our our beloved prospects. We got a, a game of would you rather. So we got some would you rather this prospect or that prospect and all things sundry that we will cover. Um, so just to get started, uh, Jake, the first question we have here on the outline, always want to know from somebody in the prospect and dynasty game, what is your process when you're looking at uh, prospects, whether it be hitters or pitchers? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. That's the most important part, right? It's like how you take kind of, take this information that we have and kind of project for the future. And I think the most important thing for me is like watching these guys as much as possible. It's a little difficult because you kind of, you have to dig sometimes, you know, there's like a lot of time spent on YouTube and whatnot. Um, But you know, when you watch them, you can get more of a sense of kind of like their game, how they play, you know, maybe compare it to guys that you've seen in the majors and whatnot, you know? So like when watching pitchers specifically, uh, I like to look at their sequencing, um, how do they pitch when they're ahead or behind, you know, what pitchers are they most comfortable with? Um, and then does it look like they're trying to tunnel their pitches? Is there like a really um, a purposeful way of attacking, you know, like fastballs up, breaking balls down, like working off of that, changing speeds and whatnot. Um, and then the pitch shapes, like that's the most, I think, exciting part, right? It's kind of watching how the pitches move, how they interact with each other and whatnot. And um, I think you can get the real good sense of that, like watching them pitch, but it's hard to get that when looking at like, you know, the minor league box scores and, and the stats that we have there. Uh, yeah. So on that note, um, you know, I, I very openly and honestly, like I'm way behind when it comes to learning about pitching and, and, and just getting up to speed on um, more than just, you know, what's there in the box score, especially when it comes to, to prospecting. So the past year and change, I've been trying to get a bit better uh, on that end. Uh, but when you're talking about watching pitchers pitch, um, does it look like they're they're tunneling pitches? What their pitch shape looks like? Um, and you talked about like, yeah, going to YouTube, Twitter videos. 
obviously I always talk up to anybody that is asking me like, what's the best, you know, what's the best sources, whatever. I no free ads, but like, if you can swing it, just buy ML or MILB TV. Like it's not the greatest product, which is not really their fault. It's really majorly baseball's fault, but you guys heard me kind of rant about that last season. Um, but it's, it's unless you're going out, unless you're able to go out to actual minor league games, which is obviously the best experience and, and the best thing to do. This is the second best thing going is like, get the actual, I can watch them live, not just highlights, not just clips and snippets. Um, but I can watch the live thing. So with all that being said, getting back to the actual question, um, are there actual like indicators or the actual things that you can, you've been able to pick up on, on, um, when it comes to release points, things of that nature, um, with watching these guys that you might be able to pass along to, to somebody that's more new and in, in watching pictures and trying to figure out some of these questions that, that we're talking about. Yeah, I think, um, the release points, uh, really interesting. I think specifically with like fastballs, you'll see, like, we'll talk later about Cooper Jerby, um, who has like a left-handed really low release point and, um, like really kind of comes from behind left-handed batters. And so it's like, how does, how does a fastball work off of that? Like, does he use that to his advantage? Like the primary, uh, example of that, that we know of right now is like Josh Hader and like how he's able to like, um, utilize that release point to like jam, um, you know, jam right-handers and, and get in on lefties and whatnot. And so it's like, are you throwing in um, good locations and like, what is your fastball like move like, you know? Um, so yeah, so there's like, uh, so there's like the release point aspect. Um, and then I think with like sequencing, I like to like watching the hitters and how they react. Um, specifically, it's like if, you know, you throw like a, you know, 95 fastball high, and then you come off with a curveball and they're totally off of it. Like they didn't know what, like you could be like, Oh, right. yeah, I'm going to throw that fastball up. I'm going to follow right. the curveball. But the hitters in th- his head over almost overthinking, like they don't know that, you know? And so like, it's, an, it's like they're working through their pitches a lot. Uh, they're being unpredictable and um, the location specifically, like there's each pitch has like a location where it works best. Usually for changeups, it's low out of like starts in the zone, dives out sliders. It's, glove side out of the zone um fastballs up right and so do they execute that do they leave pitches over the middle of the plate um and so like looking at them in that sense um are they confident in their breaking stuff are they willing to throw their breaking stuff in like non-two strike counts you know trying to get called strikes um so yeah i think that uh that's probably the best thing that you could like learn from as a pitcher's like mentality um and I think we'll talk about it with a few guys um, that I watched recently in the, in the pod and uh, hopefully they'll get a better view at like how I view specific guys in that sense. But, um, but yeah, it's like, I want something purposeful. Like obviously yeah. they have a game plan, they can execute it and they kind of like know their pitching identity, right? They're either going to blow guys away with a fastball. They're going to finesse, they're going to do command and whatnot, you know? So like some sense of identity and like plan going in is like the biggest thing I think. Yeah. 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 And then on the other side, um, hitters right uh i know you're, you're t- here you're talking about um you know selection right how selected they are or aggressive um so outside of like the obvious right so you have um guys that swing at you know everything you have guys that barely swing at all um when you're thinking about plate discipline 
uh, what else, is there is there anything else in for you that informs plate discipline, or is it it really is just like hey, who's who's somebody that is swinging out their shoes every time versus somebody that's going to sit back, sit back, sit back, and try to work their way into a hitter's count before they're really trying to um, make hard contact. Yeah, I think um, for plate discipline, I think it's like how like I think pitches per at bat is really like interesting for me because it's like our you could be really aggressive and like like the aggressive contact hitter, you know, like like Tim Anderson never gets like deep in counts and just like just like swings and has a really good like hit tool or he makes good things out of it, right? Um, or you have the guys like like just wait back and like see a bunch of pitches and I think you kind of see that in um, when looking at like strikeout and walk rates for hitters in the minor leagues, you can kind of tell even if you can't like watch the hitters, like if you have a hitter with a really high walk rate and a really high strikeout rate, it's like, okay, he's getting really deep into counts. Like he's seeing a lot of pitches. Like, yeah, he's a good eye. He walks a lot, but also like if you're consistently in deep counts, you're going to see a lot of the breaking stuff more. Um, it's going to be like less easy to predict like what the pitcher is going to throw the deeper into the count right. you get the more pitches you see, you know? Right. And so, um, and so, yeah, so it's like thinking about walk rate and strikeout rate kind of like in relation to each other. Um, because like, if a guy has a high strikeout rate and a high walk rate, like, okay, like that's probably the issue. If he has like a low walk rate and a low strikeout rate, he's really aggressive. He's probably swinging um, a lot earlier in the count. Um, and you can see this when watching at full at bats, right? Um, do they take a lot of pitches? Do they take close pitches? Are they willing to swing outside the zone just to like make contact? Are they defensive mm. in two strikes? Do they trust their eye in two strike counts? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, um, like watching their kind of approach there. Um, and so it's like, if you see a really young hitter, um, like we'll talk about Manuel Rodriguez a little bit later, right? really young hitter that has really high strikeout rate, really high walk rate. I watch some of his at bats and he's, he's watching all the edge pitches. It's like, he's getting some sort of um, like log, I guess, like in his mind, like, okay, like this is a strike that isn't a strike. Like right. it's, it seems very purposeful. Uh, it's, the, it's the Juan Soto. It's the Juan yeah. Soto approach, right? It's just like, okay, I see that one. Yeah, like, that one away. Yeah. Hit. I know what I want to hit. It's in my zone and, you know, and not really willing to kind of chase on the edges and whatnot. And so it's like, that's great. We love that. Um, but it doesn't have to be so extreme, right? There's room for, there's room for growth. Be a little bit more aggressive, you know, don't get yourself into accounts that are more advantageous for the pitcher and whatnot so um yeah. so is it so it's possible and I, I know there's there's some more here that you want to run through when it comes to um hitting but just on that note so it would you say it's possible that you could look at a young prospect especially depending on age so you talked about um a man rodriguez who's like 19 maybe 20 um so when you're looking at younger hitters it sounds like it's possible to have a high strikeout rate and not necessarily that doesn't necessarily indicate that you are overly aggressive or that you necessarily have poor plate discipline. It, it That's where you need to kind of, you need to see it in order to understand. Cause if you're just looking at the stat line, it's like, Oh, this guy's got, you know, he's in low a ball. He already has a 26, 27% strikeout rate. Oh, clearly he's just a young guy who's just swinging at everything. It's like, well, maybe not. Maybe he could be a guy that works a lot of, um, counts and just happens to get into a lot of two strike counts where yeah like you were saying you might see some more breaking stuff you might see some some more and the other thing to keep in mind like you can't i don't know that there's a stat to account for this or a way to account for this but one thing that i've noticed watching minor league baseball is like just like the prospects that the pitchers and the hitters are developing 
level by level, right? The low A guys are a little bit less skilled than high A, et cetera, et cetera. I'm part of that way too. And I've seen a lot where I'm like, that was like three inches off the bat. And, and I mean, it could also be the views because not not every minor league team has the best angles when it comes to cameras. But just looking at it, it's like, that looked like it was three inches off the plate. Yep. But at high A, the guy's like, yep, that's a straight. Whereas you look at the same thing and it's like double A, triple A, it's like, no, that's a ball. And so that, again, you, it's hard to account for that. That almost seems like more of an intangible. But just keeping that in mind of like that can also impact certain guys that are actually selective and may just be going down on strikes because at low A or even high A, those umpires are being a little bit more generous with the strike zone than when they get up. So that's actually a really good um that's a really good note that I think a good takeaway is um, it's more and more reason why you need to be watching video and dig in versus just doing the, okay, you know, let me filter this chart or let me filter this thing by strikeout rate and anybody above this number automatically gets dumped. And I, I mean, I've, I've done that. So like, it's something for me to even think more and more about of, um, especially when you think about age, when you think about level, they can mean more than one thing, right? A 26, 27% strikeout rate can mean more than one thing, depending on um, who who is it coming from and, and where it comes from. So that's good uh, to point out. You also talk about, um, uh, I, I know here in Ireland, we were talking about uh, obviously what I am interested the most in, which is how does the swing look? So talk talk to me about like how you dissect actual swings and, and looking at that video. Yeah. Um... I think when I, if I'm able to find a, a camera angle from the side, I get really excited because um, then you can kind of see the mechanics at like a better angle. Um, and just to, I guess, to use Emmanuel Rodriguez again, um, because I, I guess he's the most recent one I was looking at. Um, if you like really slow down and go frame by frame, um, I'm a video editor and like my main job, right? So like, this is really like natural for me to kind of, to go that in depth. So like, but if you, like, you, you track the swing path, right? And there's been a lot of really interesting research done recently um, with like swing path and attack angle and everything like that. And because you have like Stephen Kwan on one end of the spectrum, like line drives, ground balls, more of a like aggressive contact hitter. And then like Justin Turner, who's like really launched his career based off of like the launch in his swing, like really harnessing that and like lifting the ball. And you could see that in their swing paths from the side if you track it. Um, and so if you kind of like, you can see at what point um, when the ball, when the bat makes contact with the ball, right? Like, where does the bat go after that? And like, where is it still, is it like contact on its way up and out of the zone? Or is it contact on its way, like down and through the zone? And um, with Emmanuel Rodriguez specifically, um, he's a, he had a really low ground ball rate and his swing path like reflects that. You can see it. He's got natural loft in his swing and he gets to the ball really well. Um, another thing to watch from the side angle is like how they handle breaking pitches. I think the prime example of like, ex- like um, loading for a fastball and adjusting to the breaking ball is like Mike Trout. If you watch him from the side and watch mm. his mechanics on a breaking ball, you can see that little like hitch, that little, like just a little hesitation to kind of stay back. Like the swing starts and it almost pauses and mm. then like, launches again. Right. And so what's really easy you can see on a breaking ball if the hitter is fooled that like pause doesn't happen it just like the front knee buckles and they're they're gone right but if you look at you know that like you're looking at a prospect and you see something where they're adjusting to the uh, breaking ball and their swing kind of stays like level and balanced and they're still making contact like at that primary um point then it's like okay like 
this person like knows how to hit a breaking ball, knows how to stay back and like adjust um, to the off speed, which is like huge. Right. Um, and and vice, vice versa, if you're watching a guy and, and he has that hitch kind of consistently, then that's when you can, you might start to get concerned, right? Because like, well, okay, breaking balls, he'll, he'll be able to load up on them and, and drive them all over the place, right? Or all speed stuff. But if you're throwing 96 plus, he's, he's never going to touch it. Right, unless you're like literally like laying it right, like on his bat, essentially, like his he'll never be able to reach it because of that hesitation. So that's actually a really good, um, a really another really good call out. Right, is it kind of has to be that like most things, right? It has to be that balance of being able to adjust. But as we always hear, it's the adjustment to the adjustment, right? It's like okay, for breaking balls, I need to do this, but still for fastballs, I need to do this. And in order to distinguish, you need to start building up that that ability to identify whether it be by count whether it be by recognizing pitcher release point or you know multiple different levels uh data points of information but as a hitter being able to to distinguish okay what is likely to come my way and then being able to um adjust the swing accordingly especially if you think about um you you know you're talking about mike trout like that ability to have power kind of regardless actually i'll use a different example of video that just came out from uh from uh Lidome, uh so Dominican League, uh their winter ball league was uh O'Neill Cruz. And it was like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was a changeup. I'm pretty sure it was all speed pitch. But he was just like bad. he was kind of a, a little bit ahead on it, but he has such raw power that he was ahead and still was like flick the wrist and like launched it like like four hundred feet. And it was just like it, and yeah. it, it looks so effortless. It looks so it was a easy. line drive. It was yeah. a line drive. Yeah. I remember that. That was a great yeah. video. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so what else you got here? I I keep like pulling out pieces, but <laughs> but but go through and, and, and talk your stuff on 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 hitting. What else uh, are you recognizing when it comes to hitting prospects? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um but yeah, quick quick note too with what we were just talking about with when um in high A or specifically or like lower levels, like I like, especially if you're watching film or whatnot, like if they could hit multiple kinds of pitches, because it's really easy at lower levels to just pummel fastballs because the guy, the pitchers down there don't have as good a control of their breaking pitches. And so like see a breaking ball, spit on it, hit the fastball. That's a pretty easy way to find success down there. And so it's like, do they still, do they hit the curveballs? Do they hit the breaking stuff? Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of variables down in the lower levels. Um, but kind of going off um, and kind of more stuff that I look at, I love, uh, weighted runs created plus for the minor leagues because it takes uh, the park effect into consideration and like the league run scoring environment, um, which in the minor leagues, like there's such a variability in run scoring environments. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a little ridiculous. And so yeah. it's really hard. You'll see a guy, a pitcher with like a 22% home run fly ball ratio and another one with like a four. Yeah. Um, and you're like, man, like where's the, Where's the middle ground? You know? Yeah, so. shout out to uh, shout out to a friend of the pod, uh, Nick Richards, uh, who you guys, have, if you listened last season, you've heard him on the show multiple times talk about PCL and talk about pitchers in the PCL. Get, you got to give him grace, right? Because the PCL is like it's like hitting hitting balls off the moon, like <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, and, and conversely, when you see hitters that have, um, you know, really high uh really high numbers that are coming out of the PCL you kind of got to take a little bit with a grain of salt because uh the the Renos and whatnot of the world the Las Vegas of the world it's like yeah it, it it's a little bit easier to put up those crazy numbers 
Um, and I always think about how difficult Arizona, I think Nick pointed this out last year too, how difficult Arizona really does have it when it comes to their prospects because they have both Reno, their AAA team, but they also have Amarillo, which um, I always try to point this out, at least in 2021, I, I don't know if they published it for 2022, but for 2021, Amarillo was like the highest um, park factor for, for hitters uh, mm-hmm. based on Baseball America's park factors um, in minor league baseball. So it's like they have two, and Reno was like top five. So it's like they have two of like the worst pitching environments, <laughs> both in their minor league system, and their pitchers have to get through it. So, um, so yeah, I think that's a really good call out of noticing WRC plus. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because it's I mean like it just kind of levels the playing field. Um, usually, I like to see at least like a one twenty uh, on someone who's like at about the right age for the level um, has had time, like a good amount of PAs um, usually at least a hundred, ideally 200, 150, maybe. Um, so like 120, I think is kind of the minimum for a guy that I think highly on. Um, but if you're looking at someone who's like 140, 150 and up, it's like that really catches my attention. Um, if you're 50% better than all the players you're playing with, um, like watch out, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's probably my favorite one to look at um, just because it's like, it's holistic takes a holistic view of like the um, contributions offensively um, looks like it weights everything like slugging percentage and Woba um, and then just kind of spits out a number. It's like you confidently say like, Oh yeah, like this guy was 25% better than everyone else and all the other hitters. And or I guess the average hitter in double um, a, right. And that's really uh, valuable because that's kind of, I think the most advanced stat that's probably available in the minors. Um, and then I, like to look at ISO or ISO um, probably a little bit more than I like to look at batting average, um, which is a little tricky because like batting average is included in ISO. Right. Um, but like there's, it's hard to get a sense of game power uh, because you could look at the home runs, but like we've talked about like there's so many different factors. Like you don't know who the park they're playing in, the pitcher they're facing. Um, there's some really wild, like just even park dimensions, you know? So mm-hmm. like, it's hard to look at that home run rate and be like, Oh yeah, like that'll transfer. But I think ISO kind of gets a little bit more like the extra base power um, and like game power. Um, so I, I tend to like look at that a little bit more. Um, and also looking at like, you'll, you'll see in minor leagues, like BABIP is usually like a pretty crazy range and it's usually pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you'll see like a 364 BABIP. I don't think that's too uncommon. Um, and so it's like, okay, like great ISO or whatever, but, um, or a great batting average, but his BABIP is through the roof. And it's like, okay, like, He's, he's playing a high A or double A. Like, yeah, okay, like that makes sense. So, And just and, – and for anybody that might be a little bit new um, to to Dynasty and to considering some of these these stats as far as, like, well, why would it be high in, in the minors, especially in lower minors? Um, because, def- again, just like we talked about with everything else, like defensively, these guys are not at that, at that level yet. So you'll see – you know, it's, it's nothing to see – uh, I think a, a lot about outfield play, right? It's nothing to see a ball in the gap at low A that goes all the way to the wall for like a double or a triple. And it's just because like the center fielder doesn't, is not there to get a good read. The left fielder really shouldn't be a left fielder at all, right? And it's just like, and that happens and it's not an error, right? It's just, it's a ball in play that gets down. And then you get to double A and it's like, yeah, they got like multiple outfielders that can that can get to that ball and make that play. And now it's an out. Or, you know, or even if it's just get cut off to being a single, right? <laughs> like they can at least get there and cut it off to being single. So that's something to, uh, again, consider about 
Um, even with like the head. defensive with the defensive positioning that teams have, like down, like it's a lot different in the major leagues. Like just like the shifting that we see in the major leagues, like mm-hmm. that tight, like you don't see a four outfield, a four man outfield in like the low minors. Like right. they're not trying to like d- really um, prevent runs in that sense. Like their efforts are elsewhere, and so just like the Babbitt is going to be so different also because of where people are playing, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot different the lower you get. So um, you just really never, you got to take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt. Um, And that kind of goes into why I, I try not to look at like the surface stats as much like the things that we actually care about in fantasy baseball, like average home runs, runs, RBIs, um, just like a raw number of stolen bases because it's, there's so many variables. And I think for me, I have sort of like a major league bias when looking at those stats. Like I know, cause like I've been looking at these stats since I was like six and it's like, Oh yeah. Like I know what a 280 average is in the majors. Like I know what, I know a 300 is really good. I know that a 30 homer season, you know, 40 homer, whatnot. Right. But these benchmarks are all so much different in the minors because I mean, it's, it's also not usually a full season's worth of PAs, mm-hmm. uh, all the different run environments and whatnot. So it's like, I think it, for me, it's hard to kind of switch my brain back and forth when looking at those things. Um, and then also just like the crazy amount of variability that goes into like producing them. Um, I think I'm more comfortable in looking at things that translate to the major leagues, like walk rate, strikeout rate, um, and that uh, kind of like the approach and the way they kind of approach the game, like play the game and whatnot that you can see when watching these players, you know? So um, it's like sometimes it's really exciting to see some of those stats and then it's like, okay, like what, what got them there? You know, what's right. the fact, what's the strikeout rate? Like, does it make sense? Does it kind of, is it going to translate well and whatnot? What's and so signal think, and what's noise, right? Right. Exactly. There's so much noise. I mean, it's like baseball already has a crazy amount of noise yeah. and like major league baseball is like probably, I mean, it's the least amount of noise. There's like, there's so much that I think is more in control. There's more standards minor league baseball. I mean, you have, I mean, like you said, with the umpires, even like it's such, it's a different strike zone with, you know, each level. And, um, and then they're also like use like major league baseball is using the minor leagues to test out new rules, mm-hmm. you know, like with the stolen bases, uh, mm-hmm. with the bigger bases and the throwovers and the pitch right. clocks, pitch and everything. Clock, like yeah. you know, like it's shift, shift landing. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff, stuff. yeah. Which, which, which plays into the whole Babbitt conversation too. And it'll be curious to see at the major league level this year. Um, with the change in, in, in shifting, how that affects certain players. Um, especially, obviously, we know, like, the, the, the lefty pool guys, like, you know, there there might be uh, some jump in value with some of those guys where normally they were hitting balls that were constantly going to be outs because there was a second baseman or shortstop in short, you know, right field that was getting to those balls that now they may not be able to uh, to field and, and they may drop in more for hits. So, yeah, that that's that's a good point. And it's funny because as we move down and we, we get into talking about some some actual guys, I still pulled out like, here's their triple slash. Here's how many home runs. Here's how So it is like super easy to fall into just like here's the sort of like boilerplate, um, you know, what's on the back of the box sort of um, numbers because, like you said, that's what we care about when we think about our fantasy categories for, for most leagues. And, you know, that's what we're used to seeing, you know, again, most of us have been baseball fans for, you know, the bulk of our lives, just like you're saying, you know, six, seven years old or, or whatnot. So you just kind of know it. Uh, and I actually have um, an interesting point. One of the guys we want to talk about, and I know you mentioned being a White Sox fan while we were off mic. Um, one of the guys I'm going to highlight later on, um, Oscar Colas, was having an interesting conversation with somebody online last night. And they were like, yeah, I mean, 
he's like a, a 30 home run 300 hitter. And I was like, uh, that's pretty presumptuous. Like, I mean, he had a great year, don't get me wrong, in the minor leagues, but that's doing a lot. I, well, it, and I'm looking up. I literally had to, to look up on – I went to Fangraphs and I looked at the leaderboards. And I was like, there's 30 guys that hit 300 at the major league level? I don't think Oscar Colas is better than any of them. <laughs> you know, there was like – and there was like maybe – not even 15. I think it was like maybe five guys that actually hit 300 and 30 home runs. And they're all like MVP candidates. It was like Goldschmidt, Arenado, Machado. It's like – Again, like you got to think about, you know, a lot of that stuff. Yes, he he had a great season. Yes, he hit three hundred and thirty home runs combined in the minors, but it's not an instant sort of port over. Um, and again, I, if that person happens to be listening, I'm not looking to make fun. It's just, um, I think it was actually illustrative of how it's very easy to kind of fall into, um, seeing those seeing those numbers and seeing high performance in those counting stats and kind of start to wish cast into like oh so obviously it'll be like this in the major leagues and it's like 30 home runs you know and i kind of uh i guess i'm kind of stepping on what we're gonna talk about later but like 30 home runs for oscar colas i can see that as a ceiling for him like I, he has the power he has the raw power to get to that absolutely i wouldn't bank on that being like what he does consistently 300 would be like he could be a 300 hitter if he hit like 12 home runs like he would have to give up so much power yeah yeah so things to keep in mind yeah exactly um but yeah i think uh and then kind of on the flip side of that for pitchers like when we're talking about kind of like some like stats and like the boxers i do kind of like little look at um well i mean first off i'll say that i'm definitely more confident in watching pitchers than i am watching hitters and i'm more confident looking at like the box scores and the um the spreadsheets that i am like watching hitters, I think it's just kind of, I think that's, I, for some reason I'm more comfortable with that. I think when I watch baseball, I think I'm usually watching the pitcher more than the hitter. Like it's so pitching so interesting and like the way that <laughs> go about it and like that. And that's, and then like the pit, the hitter hits it. And I'm like, Oh, Oh cool. Like, great. But I feel like I'm watching the pitcher more. And so I think that kind of has to do with it. Me and Nick are going to, me and Nick are going to battle. Cause um, I'm going to start up hitters list. That's what I'm going to do for everybody that's just interested in hitting. No, I'm joking. I'll make that joke only because there are so many people that I come across, whether it be um, here at Pitcher List or, you know, just in the community that have become, or not even become, but they talk about how, like, so pitcher-oriented their mind is, and they've always, you know, they always find it fascinating, which I think is, is great. Like, that's the beauty of baseball. There's so much stuff going on. I never thought pitching was interesting. Like, even when I played baseball as a kid, I was like, I remember one time my, my dad still makes fun of me to this day. One time it was like the off-season tryouts or whatever, you know, they're, they're, you know, working kids out and just seeing who has what skill. And they're like, well, why don't you try pitching? And I was like, why? <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. And I just, obviously, as I've gotten older, I've I've paid more attention and, and it, it's garnered a lot more interest and obviously playing fantasy, like you can't play fantasy and not pay attention to it or like, what's the point? Um, but just hearing you talk about like, I gain more, like feel more confident, like watching And I feel like not the exact opposite, but I just feel like, yeah, like let me watch a hitter hit and like, let me watch a hitter do his thing. And, and that I find like, show me a video. You're talking about like the frame by frame of like, if you get like an open side view, like, yeah, I couldn't just watch that and just be like, but look at his hips. Ah, but look at his hands. Look at where his hands go. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. But anyways, um, you know, to each his own. That's the beauty of baseball. So absolutely. Yeah. So so you're watching pitchers. You feel a little bit more confident in your your spreadsheets for for hitters when you're watching pitchers. Um, you kind of talked about what to watch for, but stats wise, what what else is going into that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think my like favorite stat. I think it's. I mean pretty common um like i guess a bad stat is like k minus bb uh, per- percentage you know looking at those things in relation to each other um but then i think where in pitchers i also definitely look at like strikeout rate and walk rate individually i think more than i do for hitters like hitters i try to keep it like in relation to each other where pitchers it's like i could accept a 10 percent walk rate if you're also striking out like 30 plus um as well um, and so it's like, okay, like I'm interested because of the strikeout, right? I know that they're going to have to do some work on their command. Like, let's watch for that, right? But like, I'm, I'm interested because of the strikeout rate in itself. Um, but then when you look at like K minus BB, um, that 20% bit, like baseline, you know, um, I think in the major leagues, league average, I think is like 14% for a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, 20% is usually that like all-star level. And then up at anything higher than that. So you're looking at like Shane McClanahan and you know, um, those kind of like great pitchers. So, um, if you could run with like a 20% K minus BB in the minors, like, and you could kind of keep it up across a couple levels, that's fantastic. Great. Like, um, you know, but like you said, with realistic expectations, like that doesn't mean they're going to do that in the majors, you know, it's just like, if they have better chance to kind of get into like a five spot in the rotation, a four spot and see what they could do. Like half the battle is getting there. Once right. you're there, you right. have a big league pitching coach. You have all the data available to you. Right. You have so much more resources. It's like, just get there, and then let's see what you could do. Right. Um, you don't have to sleep in your car because you're a minor league player. Okay, I'm not going to get on that. Right. I'm not going to get on that uh, soapbox <laughs> again. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so let me pitch this to you. Um, no pun intended. Uh, I One thing that I, I kind of talked about last year, bits and pieces, and it sounds like you're kind of hinting towards it as well, is I like guys that um, – kind of stretch out the they they give themselves a large margin for error is the way i kind of look at it, right so if we're talking to, to, to keep with pitchers like you're saying if you're in the minors and you have a k minus walk rate that is in that 20 20 plus percent rate to me that tells me that or i don't even want to say tells me i guess is maybe more descriptive but it describes to me a type of pitcher that with the the bumps and bruises and and everything that you have to go through at the major league level, even if that gets chopped, you know, if you have a twenty five percent K minus BB, right, and that and we take ten percent off, like you said, that makes you still around the league average at the major league level. There's some sort of value, even if it's not you're my ace. There's still a value there because you're now a major league contributor around league average, if not slightly above. So you've given yourself that margin for error that even if things completely start to kind of contract on you because the major league hitters are so much more advanced than what you've been facing, you're, it doesn't completely like poof and disappear versus guys where it's like, uh, okay, they're at like seven, 16, 17% at high A. And it's like, okay, but if that goes down a couple of ticks by double A, even if they don't go triple A, because we know triple A isn't really kind of what it used to be as far as like finishing school. It's, it's kind of more like repeat ball. But even if they go straight from double A into the majors, that could go down to like a 10% rate. And then what exactly are they contributing? So that to me, and and, and hitters is very similar in, in my estimation. So that to me, I, what do you think about that idea of like just 
giving yourself a prospect giving you like the the biggest the widest margin for error possible when it comes to a lot of these rates specifically k minus walk um walk walking k rate independently for hitters when you're talking about um iso and some of the other sort of stats like that's how i view it what do, what are your thoughts on that yeah no i, I think that's a great point because like if you look like it's it, like every level gets harder like that's kind of how it's supposed to be right and so like you're you see like okay like he had like a 16 percent walk rate or sorry for a hitter so you're looking at a hitter and it's like 16 percent walk rate and like high a you kind of see that go down like okay it's like 12 14 you get like okay it'll get to like 10 by the time he gets to majors and maybe he's only at eight percent walk rate in majors right but because he started so high it's like you could realistically get like see how it's still going to be fine in the major leagues mm-hmm. you know and for like same thing for a pitcher like if um if they're like really like striking everybody out in like a low a high a um you're like okay like i know he's not actually a 40 percent strikeout pitcher right uh, but like once he kind of like gets through and like faces tougher hitters and like works on his craft more it's harder to see him go from a 40 percent strikeout rate guy to like a low 20s you know it's like okay like there's a lot of room there and it's going to contract like you said with each level but like you have a much bigger cushion to kind of like work with you can still be effective even if you know you've lost like 15 percent on your strikeout rate which like wouldn't be a big deal if you're starting at 40 uh so yeah exactly i love that idea of kind of like having as much room to work with like early on and then um kind of seeing how it progresses from level to level yeah yeah cool cool um what else you got here before we, we we've been talking about this for a minute we haven't even gotten into guys yet and i know that's what the the people want to hear is they want to hear about guys um, anything else that you want to talk about when it comes to your process for prospecting before we start moving into um, some dudes? Yeah, I think uh, one last note on like on pitchers and the uh, spreadsheets. I, I could talk about ERA estimators all day. Um, I think it's really fascinating. Um, but I think like for the minor league specifically, XFIP um, is probably the like I mentioned before. It's like, oh, looking at the surface stats, it's the best idea. Like ERA and WHIP, like, is crazy variable. Even FIP, I don't super love, but XFIP, I think it's the closest because, like, for FIP, you're just looking at home runs, strikeouts, and walks, um, limiting home runs, getting lots of strikeouts, limiting walks, um, and like, like we kind of mentioned earlier, if, like, looking at a hitter's home runs, like, looking at a pitcher's home runs, like, you don't know what park they're playing in, um, you don't know, like, I mean, you know what league they're playing, in, you could kind of guess the environment or whatnot, but there's like so much variability there. So just like the raw home run total isn't the most helpful. But what XBIP does is it takes the, instead of using that raw home run total, it takes the league average home run to fly ball rate and multiplies that by the number of fly balls a pitcher gives up. Um, So still isn't super ideal because it penalizes fly ball pitchers, which like, I have nothing against fly ball pitchers. Christian Javier is fantastic. Um, But like, and at least now it's like, okay, we kind of level the playing field a little bit. If you have a 25% home run to fly ball ratio, if you have a 16% home run to fly ball ratio or like an eight, it's going to bring it back to that like 11 and 12 range that you should see. Um, and I think that's pretty important for the minor leagues because, again, it kind of levels that playing field. Um, so XFIP is another one that I'll look at. And um, innings pitched to get a sense of the workload. Um, I think it was Eno Saris that said on rates and barrels that usually teams can count on a 25% increase in innings like year to year, mm. like young pitchers, um, you know, so it's like, okay, like he gets to hundred, he can go to 125 next year, like reasonably. Mm. Um, so kind of looking at what you can expect there. Um, and then again with Eno Saris, my absolute favorite thing is like once they get to the major leagues, get your eyes on that uh, pitching plus model as early as possible. 
Uh, it stabilizes after 400 pitches and you can like, that's my huge evaluator for guys like uh, Brian Nelson, Jay Dre, Jameson, um, Luis Ortiz, the guys that kind of came up last year for a couple starts, like mm-hmm. get a lot of data in that pitching model. Um, and so kind of back up a little bit what the pitching model is. Um, you know, Sarah's created it. A lot of teams have it right now. Stuff plus and location plus combined to create pitching plus. Um, and so what like, so ERA estimators, XFIP, FIP, Sierra, they are defense independent pitching stats. Um, it's kind of taking everything that the pitcher can control and trying to evaluate that. What um, like this model is, is like hitting and defense independent. It's like modeling the things that happen before the ball is even in the catcher's glove. Mm. It's where the ball is located and what the ball does, you know? So it's like, like I said earlier, each pitch type has a like part of the zone where it's most effective. So it's like, do they hit those zones consistently? And then um, the shapes of the pitches, like, is it, is it a dead zone fastball? Is it, does it have a good ride? in the zone and whatnot, late life, things like that. So you're quantifying these things that the pitcher has the most control over. You're not even factoring in the noise of the skill of the hitter. And like I said, it, it stabilizes after about 400 pitches. And so it's a lot faster than a lot of the other stats that we're looking at. Um, and so I think that's, I, I freaking love, sorry. I really love um, that pitching model. I use it all the time. And I think it's really useful for these young guys. Um, and so it's like, once I could look at all these stats in the box, right. But as soon as they go to the majors and they get a couple starts, that's a th- like, I value that a lot more than like their ground ball rate, fly ball rate, ERA, like some of these things. Right. It's like, okay. Like I thought I saw some good stuff when I was watching him in the minors. Does he, have, what is the stuff plus number? What is the actual like quantifying like number there that I could look at? Um, and so, yeah, so it's kind of modeled out to where 100 pitching plus is league average. Um, and anything like above or below. Um, and so I am really interested if they're showing like 102, 103 at a young age, like mm-hmm. some guys will just pop with like a 106. That's really interesting. There's a couple guys that have done that last year that we'll talk about later, but, um, but yeah, I think that's my favorite. And then uh, I think that's kind of, that's it. That's my, that's my process. I think for pitchers, for hitters, and then cool. we'll talking to some guys. Cool. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Um, what was your what was your best or worst move or or both if you want to share uh, as far as like prospect related in last season? I traded. I was in a or I'm in a um, roto five by five twelve team uh, dynasty league keep forever, um, but it's on base percentage, and I traded uh, Chris Bassett and 
Paul Seawald for Nolan Gorman. And I'm like, I, I know it could still work out in the future because like Nolan Gorman's still like 22, 23. Um, and I have like really good pitching depth. Um, so I wasn't worried about losing the pitching, but man, it really hurt when he was demoted. And then it was like, well, obviously he was demoted. He's horrible on defense. <laughs> like he can't, he, he, second base is not his natural position. Right. And they tried their best, but like he wasn't doing great at all. And they right. have Brendan Donovan, a gold glove utility guy who could play there. I traded for him this offseason. We'll but, see if that works out for me. <laughs> I did too, actually. I, I just did a couple weeks ago. Um, because like the defense will keep you in the lineup. Right. If you don't hit a lot of home runs or whatever, like Donovan, like if you could play spectacular defense all around the field, you'll yep. get a ton of PAs. And with Gorman, when I was looking at it, I was like, holy cow, this guy is crushing the ball. He had a, I think like a 14% barrel rate over the season. And there was like a span of a month where he had like a 22% barrel rate. Like once he adjusted and um, really got into the swing of it over the summer, like he was he was crushing balls, but he was also striking out a ton. And it's like, oh well, like I'm willing to take on some risk in strikeouts, you know, because like my team needed power specifically from the infield, and so I was like, that's fine. But then when you factor in the defense, like a team is only going to let you go so far if you're hitting two ten to twenty, if you can't really play defense very well, if you don't have a spot to put you out there confidently, and so. You know, it's. I think it, that that move was definitely a loss for me in, in 2023 specifically because I mean, like Gorman's projected for like 150 PAs now with like how and how deep their roster is. Um, he could still get traded. There's been a lot of rumors about him getting moved, and, um, but I think that's kind of the lesson we learned there is like the flashy stats, the quality of contact metrics, and whatnot, and even the pitching plus model, right? Like um, those things are all great, and then it's like, okay, what's well, actually going to keep him on the field? You know, where's the opportunity? Like, what competition are they looking at? Who's waiting? I was going to say, team and team context is is a big is a big part of that, right? Because if you take exactly what Nolan Gorman did, good and bad, like offensively and defensively, and you put him on like the Pirates or like Oakland, it really doesn't matter. Because like, who who's going to? They're losing games regardless, and like, who's going to push him out of the position? But you yeah. put him on a playoff team like St. Louis, who also has you know found money with Brendan Donovan. You got Nolan Arenado, so, like, nobody's taking third base anytime soon. Plus, you got, uh, you know, Jordan Walker. You got to figure out a place to put, you know, and they're obviously, like I said, they're, they're contenders both in the Central as well as, you know, they're they're trying to push at least for, you know, a deep run in the playoffs. Like, they have no time for, like, <laughs> waiting for you to figure out how to play second base. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very, it was a very quick and harsh lesson. You know, I saw, like, the, ex, the expected global on contact was, like, well over 400. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. But – you know, you can only do so much to kind of make up for that, um, for that defense, you know? So, um, and like you said, with the A's, I was, I was watching those, uh, trade talks with the, uh, Sean Murphy. Oh, right. Like, oh, you got right. A's, you know, you want them, you know, you right. want them. Nolan Gorman, give him right. 600 PAs. Come on. There you go. There you go. Who says no? <laughs> Who says no? It was painful. Uh, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I think he's still, I think he'll still be fine. I have some high hopes for him still. I still believe him as a, as a young player. Um, but I think he might have to get traded or he might have to really improve on his defense, hopefully his defense and his you know, strikeout rate batting. Yeah. And and you also benefit because you're in the OBP league. So like he'll, he'll never be like crazy, but he ideally he should be able to get in the 300s for OBP. If you're in the batting average league, it's like, uh, you you might have to cut him loose. Like <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to drag you down. Um, okay. So, so lesson to be learned there. Uh, but, but what about best move? What, what was something that you're really proud of? 
Yeah. So I did a, I did a dynasty startup in like the middle of the season. I think it was June. Um, and I had a couple good picks there. I think I'll, I'll focus on the drafting aspect of that. Um, because so it was, it was good, like way to test the drafting skills here. So I did a dynasty startup in the middle of the season and then I did a dynasty startup at the very end of the season. So it's like, you look like how are guys being valued from like one to the next, right? Uh, I drafted Vinny Pasquantino in the 12th round, pick 134 of the mid-season one. Okay. And he was taken in the fifth round, pick 61 of the off-season one. So it's like, all right, like, it was right before he got called up. There was a lot of hype around him. Mm-hmm. But I think I saw, like, the approach. Like, he was walking more than he struck out. Um, like, good ISO numbers and whatnot. And, and so he was someone that I was really watching through that draft. And um, I think it's worked out. Like, now he's going around... Uh, like pick 80 to 90 in early ADP um, mm. draft next year. So it's like, uh, he's definitely a big part of my offense now. Um, the other one, the more pro- kind of deeper prospect that I think I want on there was uh, getting Ricky Tiedemann in the 38th round, pick 446 in that draft. Um, and then the second one I did, he went in the 16th, pick 233. So that's like half of his ADP. Right. Uh, right, right, right. Fantasy league. So, and he like I was watching it. I think we did that draft right after he was called up from um, low A to high A. I believe mm-hmm. is what it was, and he was dominating, absolutely yeah. dominating in low A. Um, yeah. And he had just got called up, so I was like, okay, like it was only three innings that he spent down there. A team wants to see, you know, a team kind of believes in him there. And um, that's another thing I think with evaluating prospects is like how often do they get called up? Like how often? Like are the is a team confident in them? Usually, if I see a prospect that gets called up three times in a year, that's like yep. absolutely like pay attention to that. Even if that third call up didn't go too well, like they're you probably young for the level in that right. sense. Right. Um, and that's exactly what happened at Tiedemann. He got called up to high A, and then at the end of the year, he I think had two starts, two or three starts in double uh, A. Yeah, nineteen year old. You know, next year's his age twenty season. He probably starts in double A. Yep. Um, so that's pretty huge. Um, I'm really, really happy to see how he kind of develops with the Blue Jays up there. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to talk about Tiedemann uh, later on as well. So uh, good stuff there. Um, you, you mentioned the uh, trade, the Sean Murphy talks, and, and obviously we know the eventual trade that did go down um, was not with St. Louis. It was, did not involve Nolan Gorman, unfortunately, uh, in, in, in your case, I guess. But, um, but I did want to do some housekeeping. Um, kind of bounce around, talk about uh, Rule Five draft, which I actually um a little disappointed in. I don't know, if maybe that was just me. I, I, I thought it was uh um I don't want to say light. I, I guess light on potential folks that could have been selected and, and weren't, but I don't know. Maybe that's just my feeling. Um, and then talk about that um Oakland trade. Talk about the prospects that were moved in in that three teamer, uh, as well as some other deals. So. Let's actually talk about Rule 5. You got a couple of names that you wanted to highlight here um, as far as players of note, um, Mason Englert and Blake Sable. So go ahead and talk to us about Mason and, and Blake. Yeah, so uh, I think I, I agree about the Rule 5 draft and kind of the players that were taken. I was going through and looking. It was um, – I looked at slim pickings, you know. Like it was yeah. – I really kind of had to look to, to find some, some upside, I think. So um, I think the one I'm most excited about is Mason Englert. Uh, he's 23 years old, pitched at high and double A last year. He was chosen by Detroit, uh, came from Texas, and he had uh, 103.1 innings pitched in high A last year um, and then was sent up to double A really briefly for three games. Um, he had solid rate stats. He had a 3.57 ERA and a 0.96 whip in high A. Um, 
28% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. A um, little lucky, very lucky with the bat of a 234 bat up in high A is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to watch him pitch. So I went and watched his double A debut. And it looks, what I was really excited about, it looked like he adopted the Blake Snell blueprint, uh, you know, term from uh, Nick Pollock that uses all the time at Pitcher List. Um, and what it is is fastballs up, breaking balls down. You know, it's like tunneling to the extreme. And he, his fastball only sits like 92, 93, um, which is a little low than what you'd like to see. Um, I think there's some room for growth there, but he plays it up really well. And when you're playing off of the off-speed pitches and you're getting pitch or hitters off balance, like you could make that fastball seem a lot faster, right? And it looked like hitters, like hitters were late on it, um, especially up in the zone. He got a lot of strikeouts on fastballs up, even though it was at like 93 because he was mixing those curveballs in and sliders um, at the bottom of the zone and keeping guys off balance, mixing his pitches um, really well. It looked like he was confident in going to just about any pitch at any point in count. He got a lot of curveballs for called strikes and like 1-1 counts. Uh, he threw a couple breaking balls on the first pitch of at-bats. Um, there was really cool. There's a nine-pitch battle with Jordan Lawler in the first inning. Like his second hitter face in double-A is like one of the best prospects in baseball. And he showed him the whole arsenal and then got him on a swinging curve for his first strikeout. And then he struck out Lawler two more times in the game. Um, he was able to maintain both his velo and his command throughout the game. He was still executing that like Snell blueprint in the fifth. And he looked pretty good. I think I was like looking at the rate stats and the spreadsheet and I was like, okay, like interesting. And then I watched him pitch and I was like, all right, I will definitely have my eye on him in dynasty leagues. Yeah. Um, I think depending on how he does next year, he might be a quick pickup in like June, maybe May. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm kicking myself for, for not, his name was familiar to me. I, I'll be honest. I didn't, um, I, I did not do a super deep dive, but I'd seen his name just looking at other, um, other prospects in the Texas org and just seeing, uh, you know, whether I was looking at uh, box scores to try to find, you know, games to, to go back and review or whatever case might be. I saw, you know, him starting and, and putting up some decent numbers. Um, I didn't do the deep dive, but now I'm kicking myself because somebody else in my league had grabbed him, like right after the Rule 5, um, the, the the Major League Rule 5 draft. And I'm like, mm, I probably should have took a flyer on on, on him. Um, and especially because you, you have him down at uh, – you're seeing him probably slotting in at long relief for Detroit, um, but still has the chance to crack into that rotation, which we know is kind of, um, it's kind of a mess, right? It, like they, they kind of thought that they had something with kind of like three or four um, prospects coming up and they've all kind of through one reason or another kind of, it really hasn't working. Scooble seemed like he, it seemed like he took a small step forward, but not the sort of grand leap that we were looking for. Manning was hurt. Wentz was hurt. Um, who am I blinking? I'm blinking on somebody else. Casey Mize. Who is Casey it? Casey Mize. Mize. That's who that. Yeah. That's who I'm blinking on. Mize was hurt. Right. Mize was hurt. Not Manning. Um, so yeah, it's just like that, that sort of like foursome that they kind of assumed that they were going to have, uh, just like kind of the the contender that they thought they were going to have in Detroit. Sorry, Detroit fans. Um, just didn't didn't come to fruition. So there's definitely openings, right? If, if he's able to to show himself again, the beauty of uh, Rule Five when it comes to prospecting is these guys are guaranteed. They're guaranteed to have playing time, or else the team has to give them back. And no team wants to spend money and then give a player away. Like nobody wants to do that. Um, and I, remember, I, I'm still banking on on this too. Uh, Detroit 
struck gold with a kill Badu uh, a couple seasons ago through rule five. I actually had picked him up that, that season. And, um, that was, that was nice to see him like just completely do- dominate April and, and May before that kind of petered out. I, I do think Badu will rise again though. I, I will say that I will go on the record. I think there's still something there for a kill Badu. but anyway, back to the subject at hand. So, uh, Mason Engler, that's a name to know. Um, in Detroit, I think it's also interesting because I've, I, I think I'm still of kind of two minds with the Texas development of pitching. It's kind of like I think that they're good, but I'm not really sure because um, now we're hearing some kind of um, some scary stories when it comes to Jack Leiter. I'm seeing a lot of people being like, yeah, get off the lighter train now. <laughs> um, Cole Wynn really hasn't happened i thought for sure spencer howard was gonna i was like oh perfect they get him out of philadelphia he'll go to texas they seem to be getting their stuff together he'll he'll jump off the and like that didn't happen uh your boy from the white Sox, dane dunning i was like oh he'll he'll be and that hasn't happened so now i'm kind of like maybe texas isn't as good and now they just brought back mike maddox at the major league level which i know uh, texas fans don't seem to be happy about so i you know we'll we'll see uh change of change of uh of pace and, and change of uh, location for Englert going to Detroit. Um, but that's a good name to know. And then we have Blake Sable here, who I'll be honest, I do not know Blake Sable at all. So talk to me about him. Yeah. Um, quick note there, but with, with Dane Dunning, you mentioned him. I The amount of excuses I have made for that man <laughs> as like a White Sox fan, like he started he started a game for, in the playoffs for them in 2020 against the A's. Like he was, he was supposed to be a guy. Mm-hmm. And even with Texas, I was like, okay, like I'd still like, I still want to see him succeed. I still think there's something there. And man, it's just been, it's been brutal. Um, it's been brutal. So yeah, sometimes it just don't work out like you want it to, you know, it's with these sure. guys, you know. Sure. But um, so with Blake Sable, um, it was really interesting because he was he was chosen by Cincinnati, and then within like an hour or two, they flipped him. They traded him to uh, the Giants for a pitcher, and he was the only uh, hitter taken in the major league phase of the draft, which is interesting. Um, I have a theory he, about that, by the way. I have a, I, all right. Okay. I have a working theory. I, I don't want to interrupt you because I still want to. I still want to know about Blake, but I have a working theory about that. All right. Uh, so yeah, so it's, it's cool because he plays uh, catcher and outfield. He played most of his games at catcher, um, but it's nice that he's like athletic enough and comfortable enough to like play in the outfield as well. So like we've looked at like people who have done that recently have been huge fantasy assets. Um, there was like the one season where Isaiah Kiner Falefa was catcher eligible and played shortstop like that was crazy um and that worked out pretty well for that one season um now one of the most talked about catchers in both redraft and dynasty is dalton varsho like similar thing had like plays in the outfield to get the playing time and still catcher eligible so like if sable can kind of work his way into a role like that like he could be huge um i don't know how high the ceiling is exactly but um he had a 145 weighting runs created plus in 229 plate appearances at high A, um, which is which is solid, you know, for high A. He was a little old for the level in 2021. Um, and then he had a 124 weighted runs created plus in 412 double A plate appearances last year. Um, and then he got called up at AAA as well last year. So he had those two promotions last year. And, um, or I guess one promotion last year started in double A. Um but like he was, he was solid. He hit 284, 363 on base, 497 slugging, 19 home runs combined between AA and AAA, uh, 0.43 BBK, and um, he was much better in AAA. He got better for those plate appearances, which is, is you know pretty cool to see. So he'll have the opportunity to play, and 
the guys that are ahead of them on the ahead of him on the San Francisco roster aren't exactly like the poster children for stability or success. You know, it's he's probably going to be backing up Joey Bart. Um, he'll have the opportunity to be the second catcher there. Um, and then he could get time playing time in the outfield, especially if there's an injury, like their outfield isn't exactly young. They're, I think they're all over 30 except for Lamont Wade. And, um, you know, so it's Lamont Wade and Austin Slater, like the two guys that are above him for that spot in like left field. And I mean, you ever, Wade struggled a lot last year. He was a platoon guy. Um, same thing. Slater crushed lefties, didn't ever hit against righties and, um, Sable's a left-handed hitter, so maybe if Wade still has issues, um, I don't think they're as confident in him this like now as they were like this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's opportunity there. I think those are the weakest spots on the Giants roster, and he's their youngest hitter on their projected roster to open the year. And so I think there's opportunity, and it'll be really interesting to see what he what he does with that opportunity. Um, so I'll definitely be watching him, but I think I want to see a little bit more before I really like buy in. Yeah. So he sounds he sounds like a, a spring training guy, right? Like guy Absolutely. that we want to see spring training and see how he does, see if he can go out and actually like grab the job um, away from from some other candidates. Okay, so so that's Blake Sable. My working theory, by the way, is I think it's just pandemic related, right? I think the pandemic year um, and not having like the pandemic year messing with everybody's um, minor league sort of. Uh, roadmap of how they wanted to progress their prospects plus not having rule five last year because of um the lockout i think people are a a little bit more covetous about their their prospects and their guys in general i think that's why um even though you know there there were people that were made available obviously for rule five i think that's why the selections were a little bit more sparse and i think you know pitcher heavy uh selections probably just because there's more arms to just kind of go out and grab. And I don't think teams are as willing to give up some of these hitters where they're like, ah, there might be, you know, we know he's kind of old for this level, but not really because he lost that year. So maybe we can, you know, I, I think there might be some of that. Again, I have zero to, to like prove that. It's just me trying to read the tea leaves here. All right. I know we're going along um, and we still got a lot to get to. So we're going to run through very quickly these traits. Um, Estuary Ruiz, which is like, he might be up there. I think I said this last year. He might be up there with uh, Vinny Pasquatino as far as like being beloved in the dynasty <laughs> baseball community. Um, everybody wants this guy to to win. Um, Ruiz was moved. Uh, Muller was removed. Freddie Tarnock and Roy Bursalinas all moved um, to Oakland. Uh, obviously, the last three, the pitchers from Atlanta, Ruiz coming from uh with that Milwaukee now because he got traded from San Diego to Milwaukee and now from Milwaukee to Oakland um I, I'm we're not we don't have to go through all the stats and, and whatnot because like I said I know we're running very long on time or short on time but uh out of those four guys is there anybody that you're looking at of like hey this really this is a good opportunity for them now that they're worth the A's uh definitely uh Kyle Miller uh I think that he was blocked really deeply in the Atlanta Braves potential rotation. They have a lot of guys there. Um, and who do the A's have, you know, who's in front of them? Like if he, uh, you know, kind of gets that opportunity, which he definitely will next year. Um, and like the park is great. Um, at least as long as they have the park, as long as the A's are there, the park is great. Um, he's 25 years old now. So it's kind of getting to the point where you're like, all right, let's see what you could do. Like put him in the rotation, let him pitch every five days and just go at it. Um, 
so yeah, I think that he's kind of he's gonna get the chance to kind of prove himself there. He's been talked about a lot. Like each time he comes up, he's like, "Is this the time for Kyle Muller?" Oh no, okay, they sent him back down. Okay, um, so now it's like, okay, this is it. You know, let's see what you got. Um, so yeah, I think I'm definitely most excited for Muller. Cool. Um, I probably would agree with you. Um, either Muller or Tonark. Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm not really going out of my way for any of these four. I think. Uh, Robert Salinas was he jumped on to everybody's radar very early on in the spring of last year uh, with just some ridiculous strikeout numbers uh, at low A but as soon as he got promoted he kind of faded rather quickly um, so you know he, he kind of has to to show that that wasn't just him dominating some um, underdeveloped hitters uh, but yeah you know the thing with Tarnock and Muller like you said they both were part of that Atlanta system which it was so deep that it was like, where did they actually slot in? And they never really showed themselves when they did get the major league um, opportunities. And Ruiz, I'll be honest, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'll get battered by this, but he never really, I wasn't, it's cool. Like he steals a lot of bases and like put up a cool stat line, but I just, I never saw like what the actual skill was that he was going to bring to any major league team. And the fact that he's on his third team now uh, with 36 plate appearances at the major league level, I think it might be a little bit illustrative of like where he actually fits in as a major league baseball player, but you know, who knows, maybe the A's are, you know, that's, that's the team they need to get to. Um, I'm going to take these, these next couple of trades uh, real quick. Uh, Justin Henry Malloy. I'm a big fan. He gets moved to Detroit um, from Atlanta. I'm kind of 50, 50. I wrote about it on, on Twitter right after the trade happened. I think obviously um, with Detroit, uh, Malloy is, is really more of a, a left fielder at this point. He started as a third baseman. Don't think that that's his position. Some people think he will end up at first base. I think he's athletic enough to play a corner outfield spot like left field. Um, but he hits the ball well. He has really good uh, plate discipline. So, like I said, I'm kind of in the tank form. I think Detroit gives him an opportunity to uh, come a lot closer to breaking into uh, their everyday lineup than he had with uh, Atlanta, obviously. But at the same time, developmentally, Atlanta's obviously has a much better super recent track record um, with developing guys to make major league impacts than Detroit does. So it's kind of, um, you know, 50-50. But uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I think uh, his, his uh, ceiling still is low, and I think it was going to be like that even with uh, Atlanta. But I think he's a, he's a guy that you I could foresee being a corner outfield guy that can give you um, really good uh, on-base percentage, decent batting average with, you know, close to 20 home runs. Is it, you know, superstar material? No, but it can definitely help to build some depth for you. So I'll take the flyer now and have him, um, you know, at the ready than having to go out and try to get somebody like that. Uh, next two trade or next trade was uh, – uh, the Angels with uh, Milwaukee, and that's Jansen Junk and Elvis Paguero. Jansen Junk was part of the New York Yankees uh, sort of roster crunch dump that they had in 2021. So they moved him from the Yankees to Los Angeles. Didn't really do too much with Los Angeles. Now moving to Milwaukee, some people think that Milwaukee's you know pitching development skill might be able to bring something else out of him. I'll be honest, I'm not super interested. Uh Paguero, I'm a little bit more interested, even though he really didn't show much of anything good at the major league level either. Um, but at the minor league level, um, he seemed to to really slot in pretty well as a, a, a late inning guy. That's some he's somebody, he's strictly sinker slider. Um, I think if they can get his sinker under control, because it has been extremely hittable at the 
major league uh, level, 393 batting average against, and a 363 expected batting average, which is not good, especially for a guy that's going to be uh, late innings. Um, but if they can get that under control in Milwaukee, I think he could be somebody that is serviceable. Um, but neither one of those guys, Junk or Pabrera, or anybody that I'm trying to like, you know, make a move for or clear out a roster spot. Uh, that's my opinion. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Jake. Yeah, no, I think that that just about covers it there. Uh, like, see what they could do, you know, see what the Brewers could do with them. But I think I'm not trying to like go out of my way and, you know, like trade for them or try to pick them up. And yeah. um, especially if I have like, you know, I'm not really to drop someone for them. So, so yeah, I think that that, that about covers it for me too. Cool. Let's get into some fun stuff. Uh, would you rather? So shout out to, uh, and, and I asked, and, and this person said that they would be cool being identified. Um, he's on Discord as Teleport is his username on Discord. Uh, but he, one of the Discord servers I'm in, he um, had published a sort of site or setup. Uh, it'll be linked in the show notes as well. Um, it's on a website called All Our Ideas. But he essentially set it up where he loaded in a bunch of um, prospects and it just auto generates, you know, this this prospect or this prospect. Who would you rather have in a in a um keep forever five by standard five by five keep forever league? So um, I grabbed a couple um off of that, and we're gonna just go through and kind of lightning around it. Who would you rather have? Uh, some of these are gonna be like same position matchups. Some of these are gonna be hitter versus pitcher. Doesn't really matter. Um, we don't have to go through all the stats because again, I know we're running super long. Uh, but first one up, uh, Clayton Beater uh, of the Yankees or shortstop Christian Santana of Detroit. Jake, I thought to you, who would you rather have? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Santana. He's 18 years old, uh, shortstop. He's putting up decent numbers in low A. Uh, he had a 123 weighted runs created plus and 340 PAs. Um, batting average isn't quite there, but like I think the – the walk rate looks good. Um, he's young. My issue with Beater, I think, is like he's had a lot of injuries, um, and like even last year, like he was averaging like two or three innings per start, like three or four. Like he only got up to five three times in September, and because they were just like they really careful with him because he's missed a lot of time since his college days with injuries, um, wide assortment of injuries. So. Um, so I think I'll kind of go with the the younger shortstop premium position uh, who's kind of showing it off in, in low A right now. Cool. Um, that's a good point. I was leaning towards Beater. I, I would go with Beater. And that's, I'll be honest, that's just residual Los Angeles Dodgers pitching development. They just seem to just crank out these guys. And I know he's on the Yankees now, but just, you know, residual fairy dust that went from coast to coast with him. I don't know. Um, but the injuries is a good call. He's a bit older. He's at 24 years old. Um, but I could see him, you know, definitely, even if he, he even if he doesn't max out as a, a starter, I think he could bring something valuable on the back end of things. Um, Santana, uh, now that he's not skilled, I think it's just, it's almost the exact opposite. I think the age and also the, the team context is just scaring me off a little bit. Um, just a little bit more high, high variance. And again, with Detroit, they don't have the track record, um, that they can get the most out of a guy like that. So um, but uh, I think you make a solid argument. I, I say beater, but I think your argument is is better for Santana. I'll, I'll put it Santana. that. Way. Santana yeah. also has to hit in Comerica, so like that's you know I, I wouldn't blame anyone for not just not rostering anyone, especially as it is right now that hits in Comerica. So yeah. 
Um, next one up, Mason Wynn, shortstop for St. Louis, or pitcher Landon Knack of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Who would you rather have? Uh, I think I'll – I mean, I don't want to go with the shortstop again, but I think I'll go with Wynn here. Um, he's, like, really exciting prospect. Yeah. He yeah. – like, I think – like, I'll talk about stolen bases real quick. He was 43 out of 48 combined last year between levels, which, like, is – Pretty insane, like a 90% stolen base rate, like success rate in 48 attempts. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, that's like where usually sometimes you'll see guys hit like 20, 30 stolen bases, but like they got caught 10, 12 times. Right. right. You know, it's like, okay, like you're just running. You're running. Like you're not really paying attention much right. to like the pitcher or whatnot. Like he looks like he's skilled at, at, at running. Um, he has a little bit of power. Um, like he's a 185 ISO across the levels last year. Uh, way to run created plus looks great. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I think I'll go with win. Yeah, I, it, to me it was win, like, going away. It wasn't even close. Um, like you say, just super dynamic, super athletic. Uh, if you guys remember, he was actually coming in as a, 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 a two-way player, um, as a pitcher and hitter, and St. Louis made the very smart, in my opinion, decision to, to convert him very early and quickly. Um, he's Justin Turner's nemesis. No, I'm joking. Um, that's the inside joke if you know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I think he's he's a guy that you know we talked about defensively with Nolan Gorman in the St. Louis uh, organization. He's on almost the exact other end of the spectrum where he, the way he feels shortstop, you're never really going to have to worry about him not being in the lineup because of his defense. Uh, just cannon for an arm, great range, um, can make pretty much all the throws that you need from a shortstop defensively, and then again hitting wise, he has the speed power combo. Um, I don't think he's going to put up like crazy numbers uh, home run wise or, or extra base wise, but I think it'll be, you know, more than enough to go along with, like you said, the speed, even if that comes way down into the, into the twenties um, and the stolen base uh, changes will be, will be interesting at the major league level with the, the base adjustment uh, at the major league level. But even if that comes down into, you know, low twenties, I think he'll be super valuable for you, especially because he plays the shortstop position. Um, so yeah, win for me. Uh, next one up, we have Max Meyer of the Marlins and Tink Hinks or Hints. I'm sorry, Tink Hints of St. Louis. One more time, St. Louis showing up. Um, Tink, I know, is becoming another fan favorite in the in the community. So, who do you have, Jake? Yeah, this is this is a good test of like kind of the post hype prospect versus mm. like the current hype prospect. Mm, yes, man, and it's like I it's really tough. I was going back and forth because like Max Meyer really like was so excited to see him in the majors. And then with the injury, it was just like horrible time. We got to see that one start, um, which it looks like he kind of went a little too long in like five solid innings. And then he gave up a couple runs in the six, had a couple inherited runner score. Um, but like, even like the stuff in that game, like Nick Pollock did his, you know, SB roundup and talked a lot about Max Meyer in that one. Um, I think the debut was either June 16th or July 17th or 16th. Um, but you know, if you want to go find the SP round, if it was great, but it was like, this stuff was good, but like, wasn't as overwhelming as we thought it might be. He threw 50% sliders, which is great and intriguing, but like the slider isn't as probably like much of a wipeout pitch as you would like. So I think he'll be good and I want to see more of him, but then it's like these expectations that we've had for him for so long are just kind of like, what is now realistic, you know, like, um, like in that one start, he had a 101 pitching plus. Uh, and like I said earlier, you kind of wanted to get to 400 pitches. You know, he only had maybe about 100 pitches before he got injured, you know. So 
Um, still kind of something to watch, like if he's able to play up his stuff a little bit more um, and kind of go there. So, but Tink Hens is so exciting. Oh my gosh. Like watching a pitch, like he's really young still and he's only pitched in low A in the Arizona Fall League, but the strikeout rate's ridiculous. He hasn't given up really any runs like at all so far. Um, so I think I'll go with Meyer because I know that he's going to contribute in the majors like next year. Um, and like, we know what we're kind of going to get with him. Um, as far as Tink is like, he could still get injured. Like pitchers are susceptible to it. You know, um, it's, he's only 20 years old. He won't be there for a while, but man, it's exciting to watch how his pitches move and how he attacks hitters. Yeah. I, I'm with you again. I, I went with Meyer. Uh, I'm a little bit off the, the hints hype train and, and, I wouldn't be very clear. It's not because he's not talented. That's not at all what I'm saying. Um, but I do look at the fact that even at low A, they're very, very um, meticulous, I guess, with how deep he goes in the games. I don't think he's gone past three innings in any of his his starts. I could be wrong about that. I didn't do a full check, but just off the top of my head. Um, and so I think I can foresee a future where he is a wipeout closer or late inning guy because his stuff is amazing like the stuff is the stuff so that absolutely i'm not arguing with that but just the ability the stamina and, and the effectiveness as a starter versus a late inning guy i could see as he goes up the ranks st louis might make the decision like uh you know what we're actually going to flip this and actually have you go at the the back end game in which case the value obviously changes and to your point max meyer injury and all he's already major league player and again that's the point like we want them in the major leagues that's the only way that we can win in fantasy is if they're major league players so um i agree with you i go with max meyer this next one is i think a really good matchup tristan Cass's boston red sox or kyle manzardo tampa bay rays both of them first basemen both of them around the same age who you got um, this is another one like you know the post hype versus the current hype you know and like I think for this one I'm gonna go with the current hype um, ah! man I just watching Manzardo I just put up ridiculous numbers absolutely ridiculous he had a 183 weighted runs created plus in 275 high A plate appearances and then a 148 in 122 double A plate appearances and the plate discipline is incredible uh, he has a 0.91 BBK uh, strikes out only 16.4% of the time. So he's like, I mean, a lot of people have made the comparison already, but like him and Vinny Pasquantino, it's kind of like what we were looking at with Pasquantino at this point last year. And I kind of like, I, I don't know, for some reason, like I like him a little better right now. Um, man, I really want to see what he can do next year and like how quickly he can get to the Rays. I think like 2024 is realistic for him. Um, but I just, yeah, I see all the stuff that he's doing right now, and it's exciting. Um, and Cassis, like, I still really like him. Um, he had a really bad stretch when he got called up to the majors last year, hit lower than 200, but I still, he still has, like, really good plate discipline, um, and he still kind of has that pop. We saw a little bit of it. So I'm not completely off Cassis, but I'm really excited about Manzardo. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't like, I don't like, I think pushing is weak, so I'm not going to push on this. I'm going to make a decision. I think I'm going to follow your lead and go with Manzardo. It's not by a lot. I think Cassis is a very interesting prospect. Um, I, I I think he's going to have, I think he's going to have a very interesting career, especially when it comes to to fantasy. I think he's he's probably going to. I think there's going to be some people that are always going to be upset with him because he's never going to give you enough of what you think his like 
ceiling is, but I still think he's going to be a really, really good contributor. It's kind of hard to articulate that, but um, I but I, I think I'm going to follow your lead and go with Manzardo. I picked up Manzardo for free, had him as a free ad. Um, was really I I did uh, actually he was one of the player of the weeks, um, players of the week, uh, for one of the articles I did um somewhere in the summer of last year, and that's when he jumped on my radar. I was like, who is this guy? And I started watching some video and wrote up the articles like. Yeah, I think we're just gonna grab him. Like, why wait? And then I traded him, and like literally from the moment I traded him, I was like, "That was really stupid. I shouldn't have done that." Uh, and I'm never gonna get him back. Like, I, it's never he's never coming back around. So that was dumb. Don't do that. But I think uh, I, I'm going with Manzard as well. And I think uh, really it's just a matter to me of what does the power do? Um, is he really going to be consistently like a twenty twenty ish home run guy? Uh, or because we've seen this with Tampa Bay with Yandy Diaz, right? Like, or is he going to be like super hot, like really good on base percentage, but maybe not the power. And then you kind of have to reconsider because he is going, he's only going to play first base or be a DH. Like they're not, he can't play anywhere else. So then it's just from your roster construction standpoint and how you evaluate him. That could be the only sort of penalty. I think Cassis, I think that will be where Cassis will kind of be able to differentiate is I think Cassis can do 20 home runs with like stand on his head. Um, everything else, you know, there's some other moving parts, but I think the power is there. I think people are going to want Cassis to be like a 30 to 40 home run guy. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to touch that because I don't think he's going to sacrifice the the batting average and on base, like his, his hit tool. I don't think he'll sell out for power enough to get to that level. Um, but I think, yeah, Cassis can do 20 home runs, no problem. Manzardo, I could see it being like he had a career year and it was like 23, 24 home runs at the major league level. So that's the only sort of, you know, sticking point there. But I'm going with Manzardo as well. Um, Deep League, so these are those are all names that you probably most of everybody has heard. Um, but we're going to go a little bit deeper. One last uh, would you rather. This is Gabriel Martinez, who's outfielder. Uh, for Toronto Blue Jays or Everson Pereira, outfielder for New York Yankees. Uh, so probably, you know, a little bit deeper league names to know. Who would you rather have? Um, let's see here. Uh, well, actually, real quick shout out with Mon- with Manzardo. Uh, shout out to Drew Wheeler at Drew's OK on Twitter. Uh, there was a recent Fantrax industry prospect mock draft, and he took uh, Manzardo seventh overall. Ooh. And so he's kind of like – Planted his flag. All in. All in. (laughs) If you want more on Manzardo, go go his way because he's definitely an arm too. So just want to give that shout out real quick because he, I think, is kind of driving a lot of the hype there. But, um, okay, so as far as Gabriel Martinez, outfielder versus Everson Pereira, another outfielder. um, uh, Tough, but I think I'm going to go with Pereira just because I think I'm more familiar with him and his game. Um, He's been pretty solid in the high A and double A, consistent weighted runs created plus around 120. Um, looks like he has some like decent power. Um, I think the strikeouts rates a little high. Um, that's the thing that Martinez definitely has on him. Um, but yeah, I think I'll kind of go that way now. Just kind of familiarity. Yeah. Um, I actually just traded for Pereira. So I am 100% like, you know, biased. Um, but I think I may actually just to make it interesting. I think I may lean to Martinez just because I think there might be some hidden value there because I don't think, especially in deep league, I don't think he's as well known. So if you're in, you know, 14 plus or definitely like 16 plus teamer, 
you might be able to find them for free out in the wire or even just kind of grab them easily off somebody as like a throw in or something of that nature. Um, he played last year at Lowy at 234 um, low A plate appearances uh, with a 135 WRC plus. And then after promotion to high A, he racked up another 113 appearances and put up a 141 WRC plus. So um, he's got power. Uh, not a ton of stolen bases. It was three out of four stolen bases. I don't think speed is really going to be a, a major contributor, probably less so as he continues to fill out, um, you know, uh, his body continues to mature. But I think the pop is there, and I think he has enough, so far, enough plate discipline there that I'm intrigued. Uh, and with Pereira, again, did trade for him. I do like him. But I the thing that I am concerned about is the strikeout rate, and is he – ever going to be able to really tap into the power speed dynamic that he has those tools will they be able to turn into skills um if he's still striking out at that like you know more than a quarter rate uh so we'll see we'll see but uh, i'm going to say martinez just to to make it interesting there so that's a little would you rather um we're going to run through some some more guys and dudes um right here um Should we? All right. All right. So that uh, was our "Would You Rather" aspect of the pros- of the podcast here, um, and now we're going to uh, we're going to have to go because we're running way over on time. But we kind of promised this early episode. We promised we talk about guys like Emmanuel Rivera, Oscar Colas, uh, Cooper Jerpy, um, and we will get to those guys. But that'll definitely be on the next episode of the On the Farm podcast. Uh, thank you all for. Stick around with us today and, and listen to what we have to say. I've really enjoyed talking about my process, and I can't wait to talk about more guys, more guys that we like and kind of more ways that we use all the things available to us to gain some sort of leverage in our fantasy leagues and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, we'll definitely get to more of our guys next episode. We'll talk about guys that we think should enter the top 100 list by the end of next season, um, players that you should know in your shallow leagues, kind of bigger names that we like, that we – really big fans of and then also guys that are a little deeper that are guys in the next 100 um, that are climbing pretty quickly that should have some opportunity next year to make an impact um, so we'll get to all of that uh, I promise but for now I'll pass it off to Lamar to sign us off yeah so uh, as always you can find uh, myself on Twitter at inside fastball uh, capital I capital F Jake where can they find you at uh, on Twitter I'm at Jake Mache. M-A-I-S-H and uh, yeah, username charcuterie because why not? Uh, <laughs> you can find me there uh, talking about all, all things Diocese Baseball. So As always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Podcast um, Network podcast page. They're all available in that podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Again, I'm your host, Lamar Gibson, joined by our new co-host, Jake Mache. And happy holidays, one and all. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day.